1: This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 368.
0: Self-care and approaching, for me, depression was all about a holistic view. It was about putting healthy habits and rhythms into my life, so I didn't land up in the same place that I was just coming out of.
1: Shame tells those struggling with depression and anxiety that they're not good enough. It tells them there is something fundamentally wrong. Well-meaning friends might even whisper that a lack of faith is the cause of these deep-rooted issues, adding another layer to the shame. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I'm here because I believe that if you want to achieve true success in business and in life, that intentional and consistent reading is a must. I help you narrow your reading list, and through my interviews with today's most successful and inspiring authors, bring you the key insights and main ideas from their book. Today, we're going to be joined by Victoria Menninger, and we'll dive into her book, Daring to Fight, When Grit, Grace, and Faith Take Depression Head-On. I'll ask Victoria to share what it means to own your story, why she calls depression the master of disguises. She'll share how she reconciles depression with her faith and lots more. As you probably heard, I'm in the process of releasing my own book coming out in August. And I'm in that part of the process where I'm proofreading it, uh, having read most of it over the weekend, and it is riveting. (laughs) <laughs> but seriously, I would love for you to consider pre-ordering a copy right now. The book is called Read to Lead, The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and Boosts Your Career. You're listening to this podcast. I think it's the perfect book for the kind of person who listens to this show. I hope you agree. You can find out more about it when you go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash book. That's where you can pre-order it today right now. Readtoleadpodcast.com slash book. Thank you so much in advance. Victoria Miniger owns and runs a residential construction company, Bear Creek Outdoor Living, along with her husband and a team of craftsmen in Virginia's Shenandoah Valley region. At Bear Creek, uh, the team uh, not only builds cool stuff, but more importantly, they strive to build people and the community around them. Victoria's got a bachelor's degree in psychology, Christian counseling, also from Liberty University, with over 20 years of training and experience in Christian ministry. Now, uh, in her downtime, you'll find her exploring and hiking the long trails of Virginia's Blue Ridge Mountains, where she resides with her husband of 24 years. She's got me beat by a few years there. And their four (laughs) young adult daughters. Her new book is called Daring to Fight When Grit, Grace and Faith Take Depression Head On. Came out in January, the day after my birthday. So thank you for celebrating my birthday with the launch of your book, Victoria.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me, Jeff.
1: Eight years into this project called the Read to Lead podcast, I believe this is the first time we're going to dive headfirst into the topic of depression. Mm -hmm. And some might be thinking, well, okay, why now? Or why, period? (laughs) You're somebody who's running a business, who's leading a team, but you've also got some experience with the D word. And that's something that a lot of people uh, don't want to talk about or, or are afraid to talk about. And so those reasons and many more are why I wanted to have you here. And I should add another reason is because we have a mutual friend by the name of Dan Miller who suggested that I consider you for the show. And when Dan speaks, I listen. So thank you, Dan, if you're listening. (laughs) Um, Well, let's begin with um, what was ultimately, I think, the breaking point for you as I read your story and the realization of why this sort of idea, a way of living life, of defaulting to yes, uh, what it was doing to you and and your body. Can Can you sort of relive some of that momentarily for us?
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, At the time, and this was about seven or eight years ago, kind of when I hit my bottom, the bottom where I realized that that life was kind of falling apart. You know, I was in the middle of leading. You know, my husband and I at the time were pastoring a small church. Um, He was a bivocational pastor, and I was a busy mom of four little girls at the time. They've grown a lot since then. So I was juggling so many different things, and I was used to doing that. And so for me, depression didn't hit me like all of a sudden, like there wasn't one magnifying event. That drove me into that place. It was really a accumulation over about you know two years or so of just leading and never stopping and resting and just really listening to the need to just pause and, and take care of myself a little bit because I had grown up so much learning how to serve and, and mm. lead others. I just never... I never considered just pausing because there was always a need. There was always something to do, right? When you're a pastor's wife, when you're a mom, um, and when you're a leader, there's always something to be done. And I just hit that point where I realized that I was not doing well. I wasn't keeping up. I was in a very dangerous place of crashing hard. And when I realized that, I realized that if I didn't let everything go, meaning the things that were on my plate, that I may not be in a very good place that next year. Um, and it scared me greatly. And I realized I had to pay attention and for once put myself first, which is really hard when you're a leader of people, when you're so busy caring for others.
1: One of the things I appreciated about your husband in in reading mm-hmm. your book was his response to the day he got the phone call. Can, can you talk a bit about that day and sort of what kind of transpired?
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that day will always be etched in my memory and stuff because it was so pivotal. Mm. So, you know, my husband, like I said, was bivocational. And so he was pastoring, but he was also working full time for a construction company. But we also were running some of our own side hustle stuff to, again, just make ends meet. I was actually painting a house of all things. We had taken <laughs> on a project. And, and so I was painting a house and I was standing on a very low shed roof. i had been there for weeks. And it gives you a lot of thinking time when you're painting, for one thing. Mm-hmm. And I uh, had been going just round and round in this place of knowing I wasn't doing well and that I really needed to just let my husband know that I couldn't continue on with all the stuff on my plate. And so he was always busy and and all of that with his projects that he had going on. But I I reached out and made a phone call. And and prior to that phone call, though, I, I can tell you, I was really fearful and scared because I was afraid that if I admitted that I could no longer carry everything I was carrying, you know, for our family and the ministry and all of that, that he would choose to walk away mm. I was almost convinced that he would choose to walk away because I felt that I was failing mm. I couldn't figure that he would have any other response but to, to walk but I knew that even if he did, I needed to drop those things to take care of myself. And so I made that phone call. And of course, when he first answered and I told him, Brian, I'm done. I'm just done. He thought I was talking about the house. He thought <laughs> I was talking about being done painting. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, you don't get it. I'm I'm done with carrying everything because we had had conversation for over a year of just mm. how tired I was becoming. So he was very aware that I was struggling and he just knew that that phone call was different. And in that moment, you know, when you're pausing and you're waiting for an answer and you're holding your breath, wondering what the next person is going to say, he paused. And I just said, I I understand if you need to walk away, but I can't do this anymore and I need to drop it. And he, he just said to me, "Hun, i I'm coming home. And he dropped what he was doing that day. And he got in his truck and he came home. And he has never left my side, and um, it was powerful it what What it did was gave me permission to rest, to let go of everything, and to know that he was going to care and love me uh, through that, and he did in a very profound and, and wonderful way.
1: Mm. You know, that that makes me think of maybe that person particularly maybe a woman who let's say she's single she doesn't have that uh, that partner in this case and she's seemingly alone what what advice would you give that person who doesn't have the husband to call and and sort of, check in with, if you will, for lack of a better term.
0: (laughs) Right. Sure. You know, who is that person in their circle Mm. that they know they can trust that can hold space for them while they are, are needing a place, a safe place to be, you know, identify who that person is. And then you have to gather the courage because it is a courageous step. It is not easy. It is difficult. And step forward and say, "I, I just need, uh, a place to just to be able to share, to be supported and, and and all. And that's a hard step, but look for that safe person. Mm.
1: Terms like depression and anxiety get bandied about in the same conversations a lot of times. D- do those two things go hand in hand in your view?
0: I think it depends because I think depression is complex, anxiety is complex, mm-hmm. Sometimes they go hand in hand. Like for me, my depression was much worse than my anxiety. I had low level anxiety around certain things, but it wasn't all the time. My main thing for me was depression. But I've known others that I've sat and talked with that they both are very strong pieces of of reality in their life, depression and anxiety. So I really think, again, we can't just lump it all into one thing because it's different for every single person. We're all uniquely created as human beings. And so we experience things differently and receive them differently.
1: What does it mean when you say in your book, uh, Victoria, to, quote, own your own story? What what does that look like in real life?
0: Yeah, well, for me, and, you know, I have to speak for myself because everybody's experience is a little bit different. But when I got to that place of realizing that I really needed to step back and take care of myself and just drop the things on my plate, you know, often when we're in pain and we're hurting and, and wounded or feel wounded, mm. we look for all the places that we can Okay, what caused that? Who's to blame? Where does that lie? And it's not that there aren't other people maybe that have hurt or wounded us and and those kind of things that we've got to work through and be healed from. But for me, it was also there were parts of my own story that I had to own and say, this is my hard journey story. And here's the reality of it. These are the places where I failed and I need to take ownership for. These are the places that I need to walk this piece out for myself and and really do the hard work of it. And so we own it in a way that we say this is the truth about my story It hurts. It's painful, but I'm going to move forward with it and not denying the pain that is there. You know, it's not just depression is one of those things that you can just wish away. So often people that haven't maybe walked through it because they don't understand, you know, might try to be helpful and say, well, you know, just look for the joy or the happiness or they just give you all sorts of different answers. But part of it is it's a journey. That's why I call it a battle. That's why it's called daring to fight because it is a battle to get through.
1: You hinted at some of this, but, but talk about how depression tends to hide and, and why you call depression sort of the, uh, the master of, of disguises.
0: Yeah, I think it's because, I mean, you can Google depression and come up with a list of symptoms, and most certainly there are common factors to, to people's depression that we see, right? But hmm. for me, I wasn't laying on the couch crying the whole time leading right. up to that, You know, I, but I was deeply angry. And I had no clue that I was that deeply angry until later when I was sitting with my counselor that she was able to point that out in a loving way. And I realized that a lot of the deep seated anger I had was driving my depression. Um, and so for me, that's what it looked like, how it manifested and stuff. And so it disguises itself often in, in, in how we stay busy. We, we don't take time to, to reflect and look at what's happening in our own lives. You know, I've had people that have read the book and said, you know, they've read the book so that they could understand somebody else, maybe who's struggling in it. And then they realize, Oh, you know, I might actually be dealing with a little bit of this myself and I didn't really realize it because it's kind of, yeah, it can be hidden in our lives and we don't realize it.
1: For someone listening right now, Victoria, who is trying to discern what in their life, and they're identifying with some of what you're saying and they're trying to discern what in their life is contributing to or triggering depression, what would you tell them to look out for? Again, I know it's going to vary from person to person, but what are some of the maybe commonalities?
0: Well, I think... For me, it was I was a little bit out of the norm of my personality. I was not I didn't tend to be an angry person. And so when when people close to me began to point out, you know, you seem really angry about that or upset about Mm -hmm. that you know, we need to take notice of personality shifts and changes that aren't kind of that are outside of our norm. Mm-hmm. Um, are there things that upset us that haven't upset us before, you know, and just um, even asking the people around us, you know, what they're seeing, you know, are we losing interest in things that we really used to love and that sort of thing? Um, are we struggling in ways that we never have struggled before around our jobs or anything? So it's kind of a, a mining through of what what your life is looking like at the moment.
1: Working in the ministry for so many years, as you have, Mm -hmm. I I would imagine that at some point you have either felt or had someone suggest to you maybe something akin to, okay, Victoria, you're a believer. Uh, You're not supposed to get depressed. How do you reconcile depression and, and your faith? What would you say to that?
0: Yeah. And, and most certainly, I mean, I was a pastor's wife. I mean, my husband, you know, eventually um, resigned because he knew I needed to get healthy, but it took me a long time to recognize the depression and admit that I was depressed mm. because I was a pastor's wife, because I was supposed to be this woman of faith that was leading others. Right. And, right. and so if my faith was true, if my faith was strong, then I shouldn't struggle in this way. Mm. And yet, that's not the truth, you know, because depression is complex. It's not just a faith issue. And so I think sometimes when people respond that way, because most certainly I've had people respond that way, I've met with other people who have had that experience where somebody has just challenged them, well, if you just had more faith, or you prayed more, or went to church more, or whatever, it would be fine. And I think people come at mental health and depression, depending on how they were raised, what their uh, conversations have been around that or not around that, what their experience has been. Um, they might even be struggling with their own faith in the same way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're, they're fearful that maybe if someone that they know, like say for my situation where, you know, I was, I'm a woman of faith and if I'm struggling, well, what about them? You know, um, but, but what I realized is that it actually bolstered my faith. Mm-hmm. So when I began to work through my depression and I began to, Seek God in in asking the the questions because believe me, I was angry at God. I was frustrated. I was asking tons of questions. And there's still a level where I don't understand it all. Mm. But as I worked and wrestled through that in my own faith, it began to refine my faith and deepen my faith. Um, And so I'm grateful for that. And so I I know often that when people share that, that you're a believer, you shouldn't struggle in that way. I have to take into account. Their own backgrounds, but and I also know that when I read scripture too, I, I read about the giants of the faith, King David and Job, who I mean, struggled with with depression or they struggled with a, a low spirit and stuff, and so most certainly, I think God met me in those places and and again, it grew my faith in in strong ways
1: and I know historically when it comes to things that we all experience at some point or another, like you know a new birth or a surgery. You know, friends would, would come to your family's aid pretty pretty regularly. And, and, and you know, being in the pastoral ministry, that, uh, that's especially uh, the case a lot of times. Uh, but then when it came to this event, suddenly everybody's kind of quiet. Do you attribute that to people's experience with depression or maybe this stigma that you've been talking about that some people associate with it?
0: Yeah, I think, I think all of those things kind of lend themselves to that a little bit. But it, honestly, as I've stepped back and I was uh, not only writing the book and just thinking through my own experience, I realized that oftentimes when we are hurting, right, when somebody in our life is hurting and we see them hurting, especially, say, with depression, one, yeah, there is, I think, a lack of understanding of what's really going on and happening, and we don't know how to help. Mm. And so there's usually a couple of responses. The first one is a withdrawal from because we think to ourselves, Well, I don't quite know what to do and they're hurting and they just need space to heal. So I'm going to give them space. And so we think that the loving thing to do is to step back to allow them space to heal. Mm -hmm. When in reality, what they really need is the presence of healthy people. And so I think people that withdrew out of our lives, that wasn't their heart or their intention. They loved us. They cared for us. They just didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. You know, this conversation around depression and mental health, I think is is only been really going uh, in the last couple of years, where we're beginning to understand it more and having conversation about it, you know, you know, the fact that we're, you know, right now having a conversation about this, you know, that's a big thing because we don't talk about it. And again, I think it's because people don't know how to handle it. So the other reaction then is, they people that love us, they want to fix it. They want you to be better, and so they try to just give you answers that they're hoping will fix it, but it doesn't usually help. Only because it's not. It's a complex thing. It's not. Not something that has one easy answer,
1: Thank you for the clarity around that for many reasons, not the least of which is I think the way mm-hmm. I framed the question possibly painted them in a negative light, and so uh, I appreciate you you giving more to to, to that than, than what i was sure. what I was attributing to it. Um, you give a ample amount of ink to uh, self care talk mm-hmm. about sort of what you consider to be some of the practical steps to wholeness.
0: Yeah, well I, as I was reflecting back on my own journey, because when I was in the midst of my depression, I sought out a lot of um, books and information and stuff, and would find things on seeing a doctor, going to a counselor, but never kind of a holistic view. And I really think that it's important to approach uh, depression from a holistic view. And part of that is self-care. I mean, we talk a lot about self-care right now these days. And so, you know, it's not just one answer. It's not just seeing a doctor. It's not just seeing a counselor. It's a mix of all of those things. And so, you know, I saw a doctor, I went to my counselor, but I also had to start working on, was I getting out? and exercising, what were the kind of foods that I was eating. So it was that piece as well. And then it was also learning how to think differently, how to begin to replace the negative thoughts that I was having. And it wasn't just replacing them with positive thoughts, but it was really moving from a place of stopping that lie that I was believing and holding it up and saying, is this the truth or is this a lie? And if it's a lie, what is the truth? and began to go down that path of embracing that truth, which takes time. Self-care and and approaching, for me, depression was all about a holistic view. Uh, It was about putting healthy habits and rhythms into my life, so I didn't land up in the same place that I was just coming out of.
1: And with that change of mindset, is it safe to assume that that included things like uh, learning to let go of, of, of what you can't control?
0: Absolutely. And that is an ongoing process.
1: <laughs>
0: so I'm still in that place. I think we all are. But part of letting go is, like I said, an ongoing process. You know, it's nothing I think we always fully arrive at, we can get better at it. The pandemic thing, that's something I can't control, but I can control my response to it, how I approach the day in it, what I allow it to do in my head. And um, how I choose to lead my people through that. So I have control over some things, but the things I don't have control over, uh, for me as a woman of faith, it's, it's first giving it to the Lord and, and asking Him to, to give me strength and wisdom in, in and through that. And then it's just an ongoing habit of letting go, which can only be done when we practice it every day.
1: Mm you mentioned briefly before the importance of, of community. What's, what steps would you say you successfully took to make sure you re-engaged in community?
0: Yeah, well, one of the, and that was one of the hardest things for me to do because depression is one of those things that wants to, that causes you to, to want to withdraw from people. Mm-hmm. You know, it wants you, it's this fight flight response where, where you're just wanting to get safe. And so you withdraw from people. And so reengaging was difficult, but I knew it was an important step if I was to get back to a full life. And so part of that was identifying people that were safe, that had earned the right to hear my story, and knowing who I could trust. And so it wasn't a ton of people It wasn't like I just went and, and, and like gathered this huge community of people, it was small steps towards engaging, reengaging with people that I knew were healthy. And then one of those things for me was a mastermind, and really engaging in that community of like minded people. So that was vitally important, because it allowed me to just be myself in a safe space as well. And then, you know, some of the places that were more tough for me to approach faith community was really hard for me to reapproach, Um, but I had to be willing to continue to, to do that slowly. And I did that with my husband. So, you know, whether it was going to church on a Sunday or whatever, you know, making him aware of where the tough places of that was for me and, and having him as my advocate to help me move safely back into community, I guess.
1: So you mentioned a mastermind for someone who maybe is not familiar with that term. Uh, can you describe some of the aspects of, of a mastermind, generally speaking, or, or maybe even specifically the one that that you are or were in?
0: So yeah, so I've been in a number of different masterminds, um, and all of them are, are people that are gathering around a like minded purpose. So the one I'm a part of right now, um, actually with Dan Miller, um, it's a bunch of, of business folks coaching. There's a lot; of, they come from all various places of, of life, mm. but Together, we help each other grow. We challenge one another. We, we talk to different aspects of business, but also of life. And we are there for one another in in the ups and the downs. And so it's a, a weekly gathering for us that we gather um, on a video call and then we get together in person. Uh, but other ones that I've been a part of, I was a part of a, a women's group for a couple of years. Similar aspect, we were women who were in business, mm-hmm. but we also had families. And and so we were able to have conversation around all those different kinds of things. And it was a community that was very super focused on helping one another be challenged and to grow. Mm. And that was just very life-giving for me, you know, because it helped me kind of re-engage in community, but also helped me re-engage in leading again, which is what I really had a heart to do.
1: Accountability and encouragement. Mm, yes, uh, absolutely. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I've, I've got a couple of questions I want to ask, uh, Victoria, that aren't directly related to your book before we do that. Anything okay. else that I haven't asked about from the book that you want to make sure we, we know?
0: just remind people that if you're in that season right now to remind you that you're not alone that there are a lot of people who are walking in a season of depression or anxiety or who have and want to be available to lend support and then that you're not alone in that battle that I know it's a very quiet conversation but uh, there are those of us who are, are willing to, to just be stepping forward into that conversation and bring hope and encouragement so yeah that you're not alone. <laughs>
1: Good. Well, uh, even if you weren't before then, I would have to believe that Rubbing Shoulders with Dan Miller has uh, had an an impact on the amount of reading that you do.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um,
1: How would you say or maybe give us a bit of insight into your history with reading Mm -hmm. and the impact that books have had on your life, if they indeed have?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've been a reader since I was a little girl. So Mm. I was notorious for like going and hiding, not hiding in my room, but if I could just get back into that corner where dad couldn't see me, then I didn't have to do my chores. (laughs) And I was forever getting in trouble for reading my books instead of doing my chores and stuff. And I did. I loved reading as a child and into my teenage years. Now, when I got to be a mom of little girls, uh, we have four daughters, um, I didn't find as much time to read. But yes, I've always been a reader. And in particular, as I've gone into business and all of that. So I think I have three books going right now. And the only way. I can get through three books at a time is to read a chapter a day from each book. Mm, mm. (laughs) But I know that it has shaped my leading. It also has shaped my writing. You know, as someone who just wrote her first book, I think all the years of reading have just allowed me to form my own way of writing, but also uh, allowed me to see how other authors write a story or have present a topic uh, and, as far as leading is concerned when um, when I'm reading a book, business books or whatever they are, they might be different ideas than what I have or thoughts or opinions. But I love the challenge that that brings, you know, that we're always challenging what we're thinking or believing so that we can, again, be better not only personally, but professionally. Uh, most certainly in Dan's group, we, we read our books and we have one that we're reading together as a group right now. And it's great to be able to sit down and just bounce ideas and thoughts. Well, I, and I think the other thing about reading that I love mm. is it slows me down. So it slows life down. So I love a physical book. I'll I'll listen to Audible if I'm in a truck or taking a trip or whatever. But I love just the feel of the pages in my hand, because it literally slows me down. You have to sit quietly and read a book to take it in. And I love that aspect of it.
1: Yeah, I'm all about the physical book too, and and I was a <laughs> audiobook and still am user for the very same circumstances that you cited. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would I much prefer a physical book. I've I've got a Kindle. I just got it a couple of years ago. Believe it or not, I've not had one very long. But it it collects dust most of the time. I use that <laughs> when I have no other option. <laughs> I want to be able to hold it in my hand. Right. Well, if you had to, maybe the first one or two that comes to mind. If you had to pick a book, that's had a significant impact on you, maybe your career, your business, or your life as a mom, uh, whatever it might be, what are the books that come to mind?
0: Well, I think the one for business, um, because again, for what we do, we are a construction company, but we truly want to see our people grow and we want to care for them well. And so one that has had a significant impact um, is a book called Everybody Matters, the extraordinary power of caring for your people like family by Bob Chapman. Mm-hmm. And that one has been, I read that a couple of years ago while I was starting my company and, and all of that. And it just really showed me that it is possible to build a business and still care for your people. Yes, to be able to to bring in the revenue dollars that you need to, but but first and foremost, to care for people like family. And that when you do that, somehow the revenue kind of takes care of itself. So that was a super powerful book for me. And continues to be. I actually just pulled it back off the shelf uh, a week ago and handed it to my HR coordinator because I'm like, I I need you to understand what we're building here. Mm. And this book will help you understand that part of it for us is helping our people learn and grow. And we both my husband and I have told our staff, look, if you really want to grow professionally, you need to read. Mm. You need to be reading and you need to be reading a wide range of books and really grow yourself in that area. And so they've taken us up on that and have started reading. They they know that our our bookshelves in our offices are open and they can come and borrow anything that they'd like at any time. And so mm. that's been a lot of fun to watch them grow in that way.
1: Have you ever considered or thought about rewarding them in some way for reading?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We actually have a, a program that we're uh, we started out and we're trying to get moved over into more of an online format because mm-hmm. trying to get the physical books in their hands is sometimes hard. But, yeah, we actually have a system where basically we have outlined here's a series of books that Brian and I have read. We want to make sure that we know what's in them and that sort of thing. And they can choose from that list and actually earn PTO hours pay time off hours mm. for reading. And so part of that program is they have to read the book. They have to do a bit of a book report or they can be verbal book report or they can write it if they like um, mm. at, to to myself or to Brian. And then they have to present it to the team during one of our team meetings, just some key points that they took mm. away from that book. Um, and so not everybody has taken us up on that, but a few have. Mm. And so, yeah, it's been, it's kind of been fun to watch them, uh, take that
1: on. The reason I mentioned that or asked that question uh, is because I was going to recommend a, a service that assists mm-hmm. with that, but it sounds like what you're doing is almost exactly like the service I'm thinking of. It's called uh, Better Book Club at betterbookclub.com. It's just a mechanism for tracking what everybody's doing, what everybody's reading the reports, that kind of thing, how you want to reward them, et cetera. And it's sort of mm-hmm. a community online that's there for you to leverage and you decide what, uh, you know, what what you're going to going to pay out, uh, whatever that might be. But it sounds like you, you've already got that figured out. So so good on you.
0: Yeah, well, and I'll definitely have to check into that because honestly, our system is just down on paper. <laughs> yeah, so anything yeah. that we can put into like a community, that would be awesome. I'll definitely have to check that one out.
1: What's ahead for you and your team that you want to talk about or share or, or that you're looking forward to right now?
0: Yeah. So, um, I don't, do you mean as far as the book is concerned or just even, even our company? Which one are you?
1: Yeah. Either one, either one or both.
0: Yeah. Well, to me, they kind of (laughs) go hand in hand a little bit because yeah, I wrote a book on depression, but I'm obviously very much a a business owner and leader and, and that sort of thing. And so, you know, going forward, it's wanting to do some, so maybe some online things, uh, to invite people into, to to circle around the book a little bit if they need Mm. that kind of support, you know, trying to figure that out right now in a COVID world has been a little hard. I Mm. used to have, you know ongoing groups locally that would meet and actually utilize the book that's why I wrote it was for those type of groups so as far as far as the book side of things, you know wanting to try to start gathering around some virtual community around that as well and which I'm excited about the people are asking for. As far as, you know, our business is concerned, we're, we're t- continuing to just to grow our people, to be able to see them learn and train and learn a skill in, in being craftsmen in, in the construction industry. And, and so it's been fun to watch them grow in that. And, you know, also learning ways to help our team be healthy how to be healthy in, in their own mental health as well, you know, and I think it's very much needed in the workplace. And so looking forward to what are ways that we can help our team um, be healthy, not only mentally, but just uh, holistically as well. So we're still figuring those out. I don't have all the answers for that most certainly, but uh, working to to help them grow in that area too.
1: Awesome. Well, the book again is called daring to fight, not, dating to fight, as I mistakenly referred to it in a conversation with somebody the other day, daring to fight when grit, grace, and faith take depression head on. Her name is Victoria Menninger. Victoria, thank you so much for uh, being here with us today. I really appreciate you sharing your expertise and your experiences with us very much.
0: Uh, Thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate the conversation.
1: For all the details on this chat with Victoria, check out my website and the page created specifically for this episode. You can find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 368 for episode 368. Some books and authors I'm looking forward to sharing with you in the next few weeks include John Stange, author of a book called Dwell on These Things. We'll be speaking with Jim Roddy, author of The Walk-On Method to Career and Business Success, 31 Underdogs Who Became Extraordinary, as well as Siru Bouquet, co-author of Alien Thinking, How to Bring Your Breakthrough Ideas to Life. And next week, you can look forward to a return visit from author Jay Samet as we discuss his book, Future-Proofing You, 12 Truths for Creating Opportunity, Maximizing Wealth, and Controlling Your Destiny in an uncertain world that and more coming up right here on the read to lead podcast well that does it for this time look forward to seeing you next time until then remember leaders read and readers lead